This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days, so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Spencer Fagioni. Fag- Fag- yeah, you got am it, I, dude. Am I That's saying good. it? Fagioni. Yeah, there you go. Um, you guys all know him because you've probably heard his voice a million times, even if you haven't seen him. He is a huge part of all of the awesome events that Garrett has been putting on. He is a pilot, a salesman, does a ton of awesome things. He's crushing it in a bunch of different assets, a- avenues of life, and uh, we're going to talk to him about it, and I'm curious about some of the stuff that he's got going on. So, how's it going, man? What's happening? It's going really good, dude. Can't complain. I'm upright. I'm conscious. Yeah, I'm pretty envious of the helicopter stuff, even <laughs> though I personally don't want to go down that route because I have too many different routes of spending money and things that I waste too much time on. But I'm pretty envious of that stuff. Is it just like freeing? Yeah, it really is. It's a very um, it's a very rewarding accomplishment because with a helicopter unlike an airplane you can kind of have the freedom to just take off and land wherever you please and so it gives you kind of very unique access to stop at a buddy's place or yeah. or um you know just fly along the beach at three four hundred feet so it's a good time that's a weird thought like for people when i first heard about it they were like you just land you know wherever i'm like that seems so wrong <laughs> but i agree with it it should be like that but it's also like it seems counterproductive to how your brain would like think of it. You would think you have to like clear with people and like yeah, all kinds of crazy FAA stuff, and it's just yeah. Well, without getting into it too much, there's different airspaces. In different airspaces, you're allowed to do different things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I remember when I was reading the uh, regulations on where, as a helicopter pilot, I can land and, and whatnot. I read that section three or four times. I was like, I want to make sure I understand this. Very yeah. clearly, and have a printed copy of my wallet at all times, <laughs> simply because it's it's very simple. It's you just have to have permission from the landowner, and you need to be clear of um, objects and and people, so that way you don't endanger anything. Mm-hmm. And so, if you really think about it, and you start flying in some of these very rural areas, it's not very simple to just call up the landowner. But what I like about the helicopter is, in the event of emergency, I can or anything that I determine is emergency, I can just put it down somewhere and wait till things calm down. For example, the weather this morning and when I went flying yesterday, the weather was not very good. We had low, low lying clouds mm-hmm. and I was doing my flight. I turned around as soon as I felt where I was uncomfortable, but in an emergency situation, I could just land it somewhere. And so that's a, it's a yeah. nice feeling. I mean, today is really overcast, so it wouldn't yes. be a very confidence inspiring. No, it's very nerve wracking when you're in the helicopter and you're approaching that cloud front, you're like, uh, nope. And you don't really get above them. But that, that rules seem almost two different things. Like the one of landing wherever you want seems like a, like landing wherever there's property seems like a rule that is almost like government oriented. And then the one of like 
not hit anyone, that seems like you're just... That almost seems two completely different, like, avenues of, like, laws. And I'm giving you the perspective from, like, a 10,000-foot view. There's more layers to it, but um, that's why I encourage everybody. It's, like, the best thing I could ever recommend anybody to do. If aviation interests you in the slightest, the best thing you could ever ask for for a Christmas present is a Groupon to go get one hour of flight time, whether it's fixed wing or helicopter. We're talking two or $300 Christmas present. It's not going to break your bank, but it's going to give you one hour at the controls of the aircraft. And you're going to go, wait, this is really cool. I think I'm into this. Or, hey, that was awesome. Bucket list item checked off. Yeah. Don't need to do it again. But I've, I've recommended that to people. It's like, hey, dude, if you've always been interested in it, just give it a shot. Spend the few hundred bucks, go get the group on, go to a local school, and uh, get an hour of flight time. You're going to learn a lot, but it's a very cool experience. Yeah, I know a couple people in aviation. Maybe I can score an hour so yeah, the cheap. Yeah, come on with me, dude. Anytime. <laughs> for gas price, maybe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's um, Gas prices aren't that bad. I mean, remember when diesel at the height of the pandemic was, what, six and a half bucks a gallon? Yeah. That's about what I pay for Avgas. Yeah, it's similar. Like, they're both like kerosene, basically. Yeah. Like, Diesel fuel and aviation fuel are very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's um it's a weird thing though, because like you, Parker, now Garrett's obviously shared that with more people. I've known about it for a while. And Correct. it's just like I, I always try to keep my mouth shut because people would like ask me about it. I'm like, it's not my place to talk about it. It's yeah. not my thing. Like that's how I am about most of his stuff, because it's like it's not my thing. But the announcing side of things, that almost feels like the most terrifying thing you can do for most people would you would you say that that's probably like half of the population's biggest fear is getting up in front of a crowd of people you know that's so funny you said that because i took some like entry-level public speaking courses in college when i was at university and i always kind of found it very simple to give a presentation in front of folks like Hmm. it was never a a challenge for me per se But when it really entered into this large format, large live audience, large broadcast, and uh, I'll give you a good example to answer your question clearly. I handed the mic to Kyle Boosted Boys at one of the events, and we're out on the burnout pad, and I'm like interviewing him live on pay-per-view. He starts talking. What's very challenging and is hard to duplicate in a practice scenario is the delay that your ears hear your voice because you hear your voice as you speak it but then the pa system delivers that sound and sound travels very slowly and so i've always shared this with people the brain actually comprehends the human language at about a thousand words per minute now we as humans generally speak between 120 140 words per minute so hypothetically your brain is processing what i'm saying and maybe will say at a rate nearly 10 times as quickly as i can actually produce the language So when that's happening in matter of like microseconds while you're speaking in front of an audience, you're trying to have solid word choice. Yeah. He started fumbling and it's like stumble over your own words. Exactly. As they hit you back, you're stumbling over your own thoughts that you just put out there. Oftentimes you'll see this if you catch it, you'll see people speaking very slowly Mm -hmm. on mic because they're getting messed up by that delay in the sound but it's a it's definitely a challenge and there's a a point where i'm at now where it's like i feel very comfortable with it um and it really doesn't affect me negatively but i'm sure it did in the beginning and i just had to overcome it because you try to tone yourself out like your own voice out and hear everything else around you 
Um, to somewhat. I mean, like many of the fans, they like to tone my voice out, as I do, too. Yeah. Um, but what I do is I... are doing that right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, we'll get into that in a moment. But, um, yeah, the technique that I found most successful is when I'm speaking, I focus my ears, like I try to focus the energy on hearing what's coming out of my mouth. I do not play into any of the background or echo or delayed sound. And so I just simply listen to what's coming out of my ear right from here, that, those four inches. I focus on that, and that allows me to speak clearly. That Once that happens, and you're doing that for probably a period of like five or ten seconds, you can pretty much put that on the subconscious part of your mind, and then you can focus more directly on the speech and the conversation you're having with the driver. Yeah, that would that would be the really tough part for me. I My brain doesn't work like that. But as it can, kid, though. No, but as a kid, I was actually, like, they sent me these special things, and they diagnosed me with this stuff. They were like, he can't focus on one sound at once. It's called auditory processing. Okay. And you set me in a room with 20 other people around me, and somehow I'm listening to everything mm-hmm. instead of, like, that's why I need to be in a room like this. Gotcha. <laughs> you well, have to put me in, in solitude, basically, because I can't. I can't just focus on the one thing. If 10 conversations are going on around me, I'm in all of them. My brain is broken like that. You know what's funny about that? That's um, a very unique skill that would be useful if you were to play in an orchestra, for example. Because when you're in a 50- or 60-piece orchestra mm. and you're, you know, whether you're the head, you know, first chair violin, first chair viola, you're kind of leading your department, so to speak. Yeah. But you need to hear where the rest of the orchestra is at. So that would be a very good skill. We'll probably slap a violin in your hands here in the next year or two. Yeah, my my level of tone deaf and lack of interest in music probably, uh, probably keep me out of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you a recorder in the back. Yeah, he can just he can just hang out. <laughs> so the the announcing stuff though, where did you like you know, you have no announcing background at a car event. No. To be put in a stage of like, hey, there's going to be at least half a million people potentially watching this or whatever. I don't know what the numbers are, but something around there. They're like, go talk about cars that you're still entry level on. Correct. So I'll kind of give you the whole story on that. So it started with in 2018, me and my good guy friends from Arizona. I was living in Seattle, Washington at the time. We all got together and said, hey, we have to go to one of these Cleveson car events. They look like right up our alley. This is everything that we did growing up. And so we go to the Houston Cleveson cars in 2018. I believe it was the fall um, one. And we had a blast, right? And so during the national uh, during the national anthem ceremony, we actually had an American flag. We're out on the burnout pit. And it was us, the team, and some other people to help. And just kind of hold the flag while waving it. I happened to be standing next to Garrett when that happened. They recorded; it was a recorded playing over the speaker, which is not an uncommon thing at most. Very events. standard. Very standard. Events, yeah. Nothing wrong with it. It's a great place to start. And I said to Garrett, "I go, hey Garrett, one day I'm going to sing the national anthem for your events." And he goes, like, brushes it off, like we didn't have a conversation about it. It was like I'm yeah. walking this way, he's walking this way. Too. He was like, "Hey, dude, I'm going to sing the national anthem at one of your events," and he's like, "Okay." Sure. Like, yeah. whatever, dude. You know how many people come to Garrett and say... Oh, yeah, we've heard Like, everything. I've done it. Like, hey, I'm going to build this car. It's going to have 10,000 horsepower. Mm-hmm. He's like, nice, dude. Go, go for gonna it. I'm going to beat you in the stick shift class. You watch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was one of those things he'd heard a thousand times before. And so another, like, six or ten months go by, and it's 2019, and he hits me up one day. He goes, hey, we're going snowboarding in a week. Like, let's go snowboarding. 
I was like, all right, cool. I'll meet you there. We'll go there. And I've been convinced that he invites me to go on these events so that I can rent the car because he's not allowed to. So I always rent the car. It's oh, my yeah, responsibility. Yeah. But we have a great time. And he peer pressures me into singing the national anthem. Or actually, no, when we're driving from the airport, I'm, like, singing the song in the car, right? And he's like, dang, you can kind of sing. I was like, hey, easy, bud. Like, I sing in the shower just like everybody else. Kind of sing, whatever. He gets me to sing the national anthem on the mountain. I'm on a chairlift with five other randoms, and all of my friends are on the chairlift in front of me. So he's filming it. It's like, you know when Garrett films something, it's like, you just kind of do it just because it's funny. Yeah. So I wing it. I go for it. Well, next thing you know, we're on the gondola over the park. Well, people on the park are listening, and they start singing along to the end of the national anthem, and then we finish it. And I was like, dang, that was kind of weird. Like, nobody got a video of it, but half of the mountain below us was singing the national anthem. So it's kind of like one of those, like, wow, that was a really random, like, kind of goosebumps kind of thing. Spurred the whole mountain to be yeah, so part the, of it. Yeah, so now I've got this, like, really awkward minute and a half left on the chair ride. These guys are sitting next to me. They're like really quiet like when you're on a snowboard round you have your mask on your goggles on you can't see their faces one guy goes hey that was kind of (laughs) good so i was like thanks like i was so it was so awkward yeah but it was after that that he was like dude you gotta you gotta sing the national anthem at an event and so we came up to the 2020 you know freedom 500 and i just moved here to florida i was living with him uh, temporarily and it came down to like hey dude you need to announce it have you ever announced anything before i said no not really but I think I got it. Like, and the day of the event, he goes, Hey, you've watched like some NASCAR announcing, right? I said, yes. What he didn't ask me was how much and how recently. Well, it was from 1am to 4am that morning, the day of the freedom 500. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I had watched NASCAR announcing three hours. When you the lie day on your of, resume and got the job. <laughs> oh yeah. It was one of those. And then, um, with a very unique set of circumstances, I think it went really well. There's a lot of great feedback and, and mm-hmm. Garrett comes up to me after the event and goes, date, dude, I think you did so good of a job. You're never going to be able to race in any of these events. I'm sorry, bud. And I was like, well, this is a tough but great spot to be in because I feel very honored to have the position I have. It's a very big challenge, but it's rewarding, and I love what I do. I I like working with the fans. It's a good time. Well, and the role has evolved because it used to be like, oh, here's this mic. Now it's like, hey, come in. We got to do pre-show tests and everything. And like, Because I was at the first one, obviously, and it was – it was crude as a first one is and mm-hmm. should be, and it it's grown substantially, and there's multiple announcers, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. You've announced for other events, too. You were in, you were at Holly's event. Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty cool deal to go up there for that. Yeah, I've had a, um, a fellow buddy in the um, announcing game for a while. He was unable to make an event, and he plugged me because mm-hmm. they said, hey, who do you know that could not drop the ball, that could do a solid... And so I've gotten a referral to go do some outside gigs for Holly LS Fest and Ford Fest, which was really fun. Um, but I, I, I'm not necessarily pursuing a big career in announcing because I have my business I'm very passionate about. However, um, it's fun when I can to do those things because I love doing it. It's a good time. Have you ever had to return a forgotten bag of adult play toys to a pair of sweet old grandparents? Or have you spent your summer cleaning up protein spills at an amusement park? How about going to work every day in a flea-infested casino? Hopefully you haven't, but our guests have. Welcome to the Insiders Podcast. Each episode, we bring you an explicit account from a hotel and hospitality industry insider. To listen to these stories and more, go to theinsiders.com to subscribe. That's the insiders, I-N-N-S-I-D-E-R-S.com. Yeah, and you said when you first moved down here, you were living with Garrett. I remember that time. I think 
you were living with Garrett, but we were all like, it's just Spencer just like unemployed. Like, what's he doing? But like you, you worked, but like it didn't feel like that. And we're all like kind of confused by it. We're, yeah. like, we're like, he's here, yeah. but like, what's what's going on? I, I danced the line between like vagrant and sw- squatter, like because I had been there for enough months where I wasn't working. Like people didn't see the work I did. Like, yeah, I own a, a business where I receive, com- you know, income, whether I'm actually doing the job or not. And so it allows me to have a very flexible lifestyle, but it allows me to earn income whether I'm at that time we were fixing potholes at the Freedom Factory. Like we Garrett just bought it. I moved here. It's like there was a lot of work to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like laying sod. Yeah. It's so funny because you say it wasn't working, but I'm pretty sure I remember having 80 hour work weeks at the Freedom Factory. Oh, yeah. Literally shoving asphalt, mowing the lawns doing weeds cleaning bathrooms like al carson and i became really good buddies during that time because it was just hours and hours of just somebody had to do it and i was here and i don't like to sit around so yeah i would show but i would be up at the shop in clearwater and i'd come back down at like the end of the day and i'd be like man sorry guys yeah yeah. i gotta gotta go (laughs) yeah no it was tough but it was so much fun and that was part of like you know how i felt justified for you know Staying at Garrett's, he was very kind to let me stay there for an extended period of time, and then yeah, you and Adam were there for a while. Um, actually, Adam had just left. Oh yeah, and Alec had just moved down here to start at the Freedom Factory, so I kind of came in a month after him, which was like a month and a half after the Freedom Factory was purchased. So um, it was that was kind of how I got into that and got got going working but not working. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird it was a weird thing for yeah some of the people on the outside because you know we all knew you were like obviously not some homeless dude that just like moved into mooch off garrett we were like yeah he obviously makes good money but we were just confused by it all we yeah like, uh, yeah well that's how the whole thing starts with like what does he run a ponzi scheme is it a pyramid scheme like it's easy yeah. to just kind of guess because nobody really came up and asked me but it, it was one of those things like first off the whole friend group out here is like florida to the core they've lived here grew up here i mean you mm-hmm. got garza chad jh these boys have been in this neighborhood for probably going on two decades now. So then yep. I come in, city slicker, wearing like Lululemon and collared shirts out to dinner, and everyone's like, what are you wearing? We're going to Yard House. Like, these are my clothes. Like, But it took a while to adjust for them to be like, I don't know if Spencer's us, you know? And so it, uh, it, it really gave that sort of separation where they're like, who is this kid, and why does Garrett know him? Like, he's not like us, but whatever. You yeah. know, we all get along Why now. is he announcing at a car event? Yeah. It was, it was all kind of confusing and... I mean, it worked out really well yeah, because now so. you're very permanent seam Bradenton resident. Because for a while you were like, I don't know if I'll stay here for that long because you've bounced around a lot. You were in yeah. Seattle. You were in um, Arizona, right? You were other places before Correct, that. yeah. I've probably lived in like five or six states now. I'm very mobile. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to be tied down to a place, and I don't get emotionally attached to places or things um, and I find that to be a strength most of the time, can be a weakness. But yeah. I'm never married to a home, an asset, a car. A, a, you know, you I, are married now. I am married now. So you might be a little more, yes, a I'm, little more rooted. Exactly, exactly. And I did, I am buying a house. I should be moving in within like the next three weeks. So I definitely made some long term decisions to stay here. And I think uh, I'm very excited about it. But um, yes, prior to that, I was very mobile and moving around a lot. Yeah, it seemed like you were definitely could have been gone like, you know, one or two days you had been on your way somewhere else so i know we talked about buying a house a lot you did finally i did pull I the did. trigger yeah i'm I pretty did. pumped about that i'm very pumped too i think it it was a house that came on the that had been on the market for a while that um believe it or not garrett had showed me and uh here i am buying it but um it's a good spot you know i got some acreage i got a shop out back nice um 
you know, it, it's going to help me grow my family and uh, land a helicopter there if you need yes, to. Yes, yeah, yeah. That was like a if I could make a home purchase happen um, and have a place to land a helicopter, which I was successful in finding, mm-hmm. it, it's good because. Gosh, that's a that's a treat. That's right? a tough requirement. I actually yeah. have a realtor buddy that's like a big car guy, and I'm gonna have him on the podcast, and I want to ask him some of the craziest requests like that. Because when you talk to a realtor asking somewhere like I needed a shop like this, that was one uh-huh. thing that so many realtors when I was buying a house, they were like, kept like thinking I could just look past that. They would show me houses, and they're, I'm like, it doesn't have the two main requirements, and they were like, oh, but like you know, it's a great house. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, it meets none of my needs. Like, these are needs. These are okay. It's like, I'm like, what, what check boxes does it check? It has a bedroom and a bathroom. Like, yeah. That's not, that's yeah. not unique. Like I yeah. need more than that. Yeah. yeah. So it was, um, some fighting that I had. Yeah. To do and that. the problem is with Lakewood ranch being like designated as one of the number one places to live. Like it was rated in articles, like the top place to move to in America. It it made the housing market a a very trying thing out here. And I found myself looking to spend, you know, you know, knocking on the door of a million dollars to buy a new home that yes, I could design and find all the features and everything I wanted, but I'm going to be, I looked at the blueprints. I would be 24, my garage wall would be 24 feet from my neighbor's garage wall. And I was like, okay, before I pull the trigger on this, because my yeah. family, my wife and I and our daughter, we need a new house. Ours isn't falling apart, but it's time. But I was like, I can't spend that kind of money on a house that puts me so, like a house that I don't really love, that I don't want to be at more yeah. than a couple years. And I was like, that's a lot of money. So then this home came up. It was shown to me. And I was like, all right, it's a big ask. Yes, it's more than I anticipated, but can I do it? Sure. We just made the offer and they approved it, you know, and... uh yeah, it seems like people are pretty eager to take offers right now. Yeah. Like, there's houses are sitting a little bit longer than they were Well, a let's year talk ago. about that. Um, actually, last week, Forbes magazine released some data that we've had the lowest number of mortgage applicants per week in 27 years. Yep. I, I saw that same statistic. I was, just, I was just thinking about that. I was just talking to my wife about that because she wants to... She wants to potentially buy like a rental property or something else, you know, put some mm-hmm. money somewhere that can make money. And I'm like, well, let's see what the next eight months shows here, because there might be a fire sale. Yeah. On a lot of things. Who's to say, man, I, I know that as long as I can cover my six in my house for my family, like I don't give a damn what happens in the market. Like just put me here where I am. I'm putting a, a chunk of change down so that way the market could go down another 15, 20% and I'll still have positive equity in my home. And that's, yeah. I consider that buying right. Like I'm not using an FHA, like I'm sa- I saved up, you know? So it's, yeah. it's the appropriate way to do something like that, you know? I don't think I could, it would take a lot for my house to go upside mm-hmm. down where I'm at, you know, with the amount yeah. of time I've been here. I've been yeah. here three years now and 19 was a good time to buy, 18 was a good time to buy. So it would take a lot for it to go upside down, but it's still always a possibility it doesn't oh, yeah. have to go upside down, but it can not have a buyer. Yeah. You know, like in 2008, it was four sale signs in every neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, it's always one of those scary things. I, after dreaming of home ownership, I dream of not home ownership. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like that terrible burden in a lot yeah. of ways. Cause it's, there's something always breaking like washing machine breaks and stuff yeah. like that. It's like, it's great, but it's not. <laughs> 
Yep, yep. I'll know what you're talking about all too soon. It's the major liability, as Rich Dad Poor Dad would say. Mm-hmm. Great book. The biggest liability you can own. Yeah, it is. He's a big... So when it comes to financial um, financial talk and financial literacy, he's huge on leveraging debt. That's yeah. sort of his go-to. Then you got like Susie Ormon, Susie Orman. She's very big like on no debt. And so you have a yeah. lot of these very big names in the in the space in the financial services world that have different takes on it. And, and there's listen to like Ramsey and he's like Yeah, Dave Ramsey, no debt. Yeah, get out of debt. Don't have debt. Fifteen year mortgages. Like, you know, he's yep. again a very prominent name in the financial services space. But what I've always and I'll say this with a word of caution because those guys have taught a lot of people their courses, their books have helped a lot of people out of financial situations. And I have no courses and no books, right? So but I practice in financial services every week. That's what I do for my career. That's what I do for a living. I've been doing this for six years now, going on seven. Mm-hmm. So I've had a lot of in the weeds, like in the trenches, understanding of clients' actual circumstances, the vehicles we leverage to get people out of those circumstances. And so I've got a lot of hands-on experience. Not to say that Dave Ramsey doesn't, but I think there's something to be said. You know, someone that graduates with a master's degree in dental extractions, but you've got Parker who's done dental extractions every week, every day for the last four or five years. It's like, you could be just graduating, but here's a guy that's been doing it. And that's where it's like, I make my decision who I'm going to gather some of my information from. My thought is like, Dave Ramsey is great for 99% of people Mm -hmm. that want to like, just be financially not in debt. But then like you listen to rich dad, poor dad, because he's trying to like make you money really like money like actual make you money yeah he wants and that's a great book if people have never read it it's absolutely really worth the read yeah Rich Dad Poor Dad read that twice because it's yeah mind so opening. I what I found myself doing I do read a good amount probably more than most people what I've found helps me read is because I'm not like an exceptionally smart person but I know how to like put a little extra effort in yeah, I can hardly read when I read books I read them with a pencil because that pencil allows me to, in the back several pages, anytime there's a vocabulary word that I don't fully know, in the context of the sentence, I can read it and understand what that word meant, but I find it valuable to write that vocabulary word down in the back, Webster's Merriam Dictionary, the definition. Mm-hmm. Now I'm writing it down, committing it to memory. In writing it down commits it to memory with a 40% increased probability that you're going to keep that information so yeah that's a good tip for sure one thing that i heard that kind of was like one of those moments where you're like oh yeah somebody was like don't read 300 books read you know five books five times like 10 times you know like read the books more than once and i'm like oh yeah duh like yeah you're not gonna you can't expect to just retain the whole knowledge by just like going through the book once yeah so like you know six months after pick it up again and you'll probably realize there's different stuff you read it quicker anyways and Mm -hmm. it's like well, there's different concepts you're going to gain from it. Um, there's a, a book that's called Infinite Banking that I would like to loan to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to read that book a couple times because there's strategies of how to leverage your income and finances. It's like, okay, you can't implement every strategy when you put the book down. You're like, all yeah. right, honey, we need to talk about our finances. <laughs> like a light switch, like, oh, yeah, yeah. and no. now I know it. It's a hell of that. So. I got a good one. I'll, I'll trade you off. Um, Alex Hermosi, $100 million offer is a pretty good one. It's like a short book that's okay. like... I've heard of that, but I've not read that one. It's so a pretty good, good one. I got it upstairs. I'll very good. Loan you out. I recently learned that I have severe ADHD. I took this test online, and it was like, <laughs> "You have severe ADHD." I was like, "Yeah, that actually adds up." <laughs> yeah, I didn't need an online test to tell me that. I've known that for a while. I've been medicated at a young age, but I'm obviously not 
doing the meds anymore and stuff. But yeah, I, I was that kid. I was very ADHD growing up. I still am. See, I think mine just manifested it in different ways. Like mm -hmm. not like the jittery, but like the scatterbrained and like focus on 12 things at once and unable to do one thing to like what I like. I should just focus on one thing to its finish yeah. line, but it's more just like, oh, I'll just do 50 other things. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's kind of like, um, you know, when people say they can multitask really well, it's like you really can't. Jordan Peterson put it really clearly. It's like you're divvying up percentages of your brain on multiple things at a time. Your brain's never, not being fully effective on any of them. You're not really getting it. You think you can you multitask. You think you can well. multitask. Did that camera turn off? Um, I thought I saw it out of the corner of my eye probably about a minute ago. Oh. It was doing pretty good, too. I hadn't had many camera failures. Oh, gotcha. The camera failures seem to be my normal Achilles, tent, um, Achilles heel. Really? Because this is why I need, like, a, a person. Yeah. A person with a computer would be cool. You will. And, that and then a TV. Yeah. I have the TV. I just need somebody that knows how to use it. No, you're right. But we'll be able to yeah. watch this thing grow. Talk to him. Well, it's funny you said that. Um, yeah, you brought you know, three coffees. I don't know if four coffees. I don't no, know I actually brought four coffees. Let's bring it. Let's let's, let's bring this in here. So yeah, um, for those of you at of home coffee. that probably do or don't know this, Cooper's a very big coffee drinker, right? And so some would say addicted. I've heard him say very terrible things about some of our local chain coffees. So what I've done today is I've gotten. Four coffees from four different locations. Wow. Numbering each of the cups. And I'm going to see if Cooper can taste, test, sample, and what his level of accuracy is on each of the different. So if you're listening, there's coffees in white cups labeled one through four. What, yes. do, we, what do we got going on here? They've had some time okay. to. One is watered down. Oh, you're already, you're already ripping it? Oh, was, you're I just smelling. Them. You're doing. Smell. I just smelled. Well, them. let's get these bad boys, these lids off. I can tell you, one already smelt watered down. Okay. Too much water to bean ratio, and there are obviously black coffee because if you drink coffee with oat milk or something weird like that, I ain't interested. <laughs> All right. So, what number is that right there? That's number one, and it's has no coffee flavor, no bean flavor whatsoever. Really? That I wouldn't buy. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I should show the camera close up which one that is while you're taste testing them. Are you a car enthusiast looking for an exciting new podcast to listen to? check out the Test Drive podcast hosted by Lebo Den. This podcast is packed with discussions about some of the most iconic vehicles in automotive history and inside knowledge from behind the scenes. From the Mustang to the Camaro, we cover it all. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Listen to Test Drive on your favorite podcast app today. This one has like a pretty weird tangy taste to it, like almost the water that was used was not filtered in any way. <laughs> what number is that? Two. Okay. It almost, this one, the coffee sat too long. Okay. Coffee sat there for probably five hours, if I okay. was to guess. Okay. 
three isn't bad. I would drink three. You would drink three. All right, we're down to the last one, folks. Four. Four is hotter. That's nice. Four would be my choice. Four would be your choice. All right, so let's get them in order here. Mm-hmm. We got one, one, two, two three, three, four. and four. I'm gonna tell you the four brands of coffee they are. Okay. What did I drink? You drank Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, you, Dunkin' Donuts was let me probably. Give, let me give you all of them first. Okay. okay. You drank Wawa, gas station cup coffee. Then you drank Circle K, okay. gas station cup of coffee. Then you drank Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks. Okay. So, number two was the one I said sat around for too long. Yes. That was probably Circle K. Wow. All right. <laughs> that was correct. However, it was a fresh ground machine that freshly ground the grinds and then brewed it right then and there. So, it was an instant cup of coffee. It, it made it right in front of me. I didn't even, I went over yeah, to the pour yeah. cup things, they didn't have it, but it made it right in front of me. But you're correct. Circle K. Interesting. Number number one was probably um, Starbucks. Not not Starbucks. Um, number one was probably Dunkin'. Incorrect. Number one was Wawa. Huh. Interesting. Gas station cup. Number one was your least favorite. The watered down. That was my least favorite. Okay. Wow. What about number <laughs> number three? Then have may a, have been Duncan. Have a sip of that again. That's Wawa coffee. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Interesting. <laughs> it definitely has the most consistent flavor, I okay. would say. Consistent, like, taste where you, it doesn't kind of, like, pucker your cheeks because it's, like, got, like, a, a harsh bitterness mm-hmm. to it. Number three, then, I would say was Dunkin'. Number three was Dunkin' Donuts. You're very correct. Mm-hmm. Which leaves so what to number four? Starbucks. The and one number I said I would four, drink. this is the one you said you would drink. And what have you told me in the past about Starbucks coffee? I told you it's not that good. You told me it's not that good. Mm-hmm. You also said they burn their beans. You can taste that. Yeah. You actually can taste that the beans do taste burnt. Gotcha. But it's still the one that I would drink. Yeah. But also because I have a monkey brain that would drink <laughs> all three all four of these without question yeah exactly you put a cup of coffee in my hands at a racetrack i'll yeah. drink it but yeah i mean that's that's a tough one i feel like i wasn't too off i feel like i did no, you pretty did pretty decent. good you did pretty good all things considered like 
I was excited to hear that it makes me happy knowing that the Starbucks coffee is your favorite one out of the four because you just trash them all the time. I do. <laughs> all the time. I do trash them. You and look, I got go number four. No, I always go to Starbucks. Oh, really? Because my wife. Oh, gotcha. I don't willingly Blame go it anywhere on your wife. for coffee. Blame it on your wife. Okay, gotcha. I don't willingly go anywhere for coffee because I normally just make it myself for like 50 cents. Yeah. You want to know what was the most expensive cup out of here? Probably Duncan. Starbucks two eighty nine, Dunkin' two thirty nine, really. Wawa one eighty seven, and Circle K was two eleven. Interesting. The Starbucks did also hit different because it was a little warmer. Yeah, it's true. It was definitely the hottest. I got them all within moments of each other, so we did our best. But that was a fun little exercise. Yeah, that was good. I, I yeah. like that. Um, that was a fun quiz, and I, I'm I'm happy with myself that I actually good. was able good. to understand the differences because you know someday i would like to come out with a cooper's coffee yeah dude brand of bean Just or do a brand crab collaboration that'd be cool or like a car guy coffee yeah yeah where you Ooh. can do like some unique considering there's so many cars and coffees to have a car guy coffee yeah and then every different blend could have a different car you could rebag stuff every month same blend you could have limited edition runs of bags. I mean, you could have the guy like me because I like coffee. I lived in downtown Seattle where the very first Starbucks was. There's very, very competitive coffee markets out there. And so I love black coffee. That's my preferred way to drink it. But I look at like what I would buy in. Black Rifle did yeah. with Absolutely. guns and coffee. And oh, I'm yeah. like, man, oh, yeah. you could probably do the same with cars and coffee. Yeah. Because they're kind of like the two separate industries, but... I feel like gun guys and car guys completely overlap. Yep. Like 90% of that world is yeah. on top of each other. Even if like yeah. you'd be at the track and like if you like, oh, like it's a nine millimeter, you see like everybody like turn around. They're like, what? You're oh. talking about a... Smith and Wesden? Talking about guns? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's kind they of... They go fun. very hand. It's, uh, you know, anything that goes bang at a car show is going to get along well with pretty much everybody. It's kind of like so. side by sides. I always joke like... When car guys are like, I'm done with cars. They're too expensive. They'll go get like a $100,000 side-by-side trailer and stuff. And they're like, Bro. this is just way more yeah. <laughs> my speed. Yeah, that's funny. It's like the two. It always happens to my friends. They're either go ball out on a boat after they're like, I'm going to take a little break from racing. It's too expensive. Yeah, they just re-divest the, fu- they divest the funds into something else, an- yeah. another hobby. And that's kind of like what it is about helicoptering. He's like, yes. I could and would love to have a race car and be out there with the fellows all mm-hmm. the time, right? But I'm more passionate about aviation than I am race cars. I will build a race car this year now that I have a home with a shop in it. I can do most of those things myself. And contrary to popular belief, I know my way around it tools a little bit. You know, I still have to call the plumber to change my shower head, but that's neither here nor there. I could reset the valve springs. You could you could work on an LS. I mean, anybody can work on an LS. Yeah, I mean, that's what's funny is like, you know, going back to some of the announcing stuff is some of the earlier comments. The very first event, people loved me. The second through 15th event, I was the worst person on planet Earth. And, uh, you know, it, I don't really ever read the comments other than for my own personal entertainment because I truly find them entertaining. I yeah. think I've only ever responded to one. And the gentleman was extremely cordial. And we actually had good discussion. Like, it was, it was a comment that was said in a way that was like, all right, I can respond to this gentleman. He's open to it. But I read those, and I just have a kick out of them. I don't read all of them, but they're pretty funny most of the time. I don't like when, like, celebrities are like, I don't read the comments. It's not, you know, I shouldn't read the comments. Like, Why I don't even get care. get in one of these with you? I mean, have I'll at it. i do the Duncan one. Have at it. Let me know what you think. I don't like when people say that because I'm like, you kind of have to read the comments. Like, you... 
well, it's part of it. Like you can't you can't shy away from a little bit of criticism. I agree and disagree. The person that I've heard the most say they don't read their comments is Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Well, Joe Rogan is doing his stuff for fun. He doesn't have a viewer base that he's trying to constantly push the envelope and entertain necessarily in the way our YouTube friends and community are always trying to put content that's entertaining and they and the viewership comments are important to YouTube because it allows you to know like hey did I miss the mark on yeah. my video or did I hit it as expected he's a tough one though because how many comments a day yeah. is he getting on stuff like you know like me yeah me I I have an, a finite enough comments where I can like engage with them yeah. a little bit like at least read them all but like that there's probably you know 10,000 comments yeah. a day yeah. on Instagram, yeah, YouTube, I think, and stuff. Like, it's it's almost too overwhelming. Like, you almost read news articles if you're him. Yeah. Well, but, like, Garrett can still kind of read them. He's not quite at that, like, tipping point where there's so much content in so many different spots that comments are just, like, I think that's, a wash. That's one of the things that I would say I compliment Garrett on is he still is in touch with his fans. He's not too big for his own britches, right? Yeah. So if you go to his Facebook fan page or the Freedom Factory fan page, it's like it's not uncommon to see him engaging with his fans in there. Mm -hmm. They love that. He loves it. It's like that constant like, hey, he's not as far away as I seem, like as he seems, right? And so I think there's a big value in that. And like I said, I agree and disagree. On the extreme side, there are people that do not. And then I think on, on our YouTube world, it it um, is something that we see people do, and it's a smart thing to do. I encourage you to do it. I've done it. I've gotten feedback from comments before. Now, granted, I enter the comments just looking for the pure entertainment. I read them with my wife, and we die laughing. Yeah, like, you know, I it, have no problem with it. Oh, There's it's nothing great. you're going to say to me. No, that hasn't been said by my own mother already. Or like, it's going to offend me enough yeah. where it's going to you know stop me from doing what I'm no. doing. No, I grew up with three brothers. And so it's pretty much playing uh, a constant game of, like, Assassin's Creed where everyone's trying to kill you. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of violence in our home growing up. And, and uh, oh, poor table. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's a very competitive world growing up in my home, and I love my brothers, and they're the best people that push me. Um, I'm so hard but, on myself that you're not going to – like, somebody like, oh, man, you, you know, you sucked in that race. Like, if I lost, like, you better – believe i was hard on myself after yeah you're not gonna offend me more than me or my friends that are talking shit because like yeah those opinions i respect the most when like you know do you remember that meme i made on instagram where it's you in the car with the gopro on the dash and then you are reading the time slip and then you said you go well that's disappointing (laughs) and i just started adding in whatever words i could like when your wife said when your wife texts you say dinner's not hot on the show she doesn't have dinner ready and it's like well that's disappointing (laughs) like (laughs) that's kind of just how it is though like you gotta be hard on yourself yeah people that think that they they have no flaws is a scary thing to be in and don't take any criticism is a scary place to be i wouldn't Mm -hmm. i wouldn't really want to be on that level no yeah that's a it's a i don't really find myself being in a community like i don't see those people in my inner circle like that characteristic trait is, is one that i haven't found brings a lot of value to what i'm trying to accomplish and stuff yeah, so i don't no know very many people echo, like that echo chamber at all yeah i would rather people tell me how bad i am than how good i am and so it's like when people tell me like you can sing so good it's like i've never taken a lesson in my life like mm-hmm. i think i may have some natural talent but when people are like dude you should go on american idol you should do the voice it's like easy brother 
<laughs> Easy. Like, I could probably go up there and maybe make them laugh. I'd be better off writing up a stand-up skit. Would you even skit. enjoy that? <laughs> but for me, I would, because I, like, I'm always a positive person. Like, yeah. even my wife's like, like, dude... Would you even enjoy like American Idol? Like if you got this shot at no, that? No, like, I don't know. I'd be like out there. I would just try to be end up being like I would do singing to get them interested. And the next thing they'd be like, "Why is he doing stand up?" Like, well, yeah, I wrote this. You know, that's so, what I would love to try to do. Stand yes, up. you and I've talked about that. I think the day that we do open mic, I think we should go together and we should not tell people. We should just mm-hmm. go on like a just go send it. Just go send it. The one downtown Sarasota, like you sign up for three minutes. Yeah, so you just have to prepare three minutes. Yeah. And if it starts bombing, you can improvise. Bro, and I start making fun of the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So I've done this. That's what's so crazy about the Freedom Factory stuff is is there are times where we have a caution and then people look to me like the directors of the show. And and like you said, we've come a long way. Before it was it was um a very crude show, but we have absolutely grown. And it's so cool to see this thing evolve. But when it comes to those downtimes or those cautions or the messes or the cleaning up or yeah. the changing of the track in between races, it's like a lot of people are turning to me for me to keep this crowd engaged and to keep them entertained. And so one of the fun things about it that challenges me is the fact that I want to be PG in my humor. It's important to me. That's the show. Yeah, it's not it's a, a family it's environment. It's a family environment. Exactly. So being able to jester while not crossing the line is important. And um, I've done been a, accused of a crossing the line before. Yeah, yeah. We could bring that up in but full that's just, right now. But that's just accusations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, it wasn't I, recorded or anything. You know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yes, I, when you take anything out of, out of context, it can definitely be spun in, in any which way you want. Um, but in that situation, I was saying nothing but great things about her driving, how she embarrassed all these guys. So we're talking about a certain. Oh, we're talking about okay. Haley Deegan. We're yes. talking about the um, great driver, better Lay than all Mullis. of us. Yep, terrific driver, better than Much all of us. Much better exactly. than all of us. Exactly. She had the number. She had the most positions gained in that race. Mm-hmm. And it's like you guys got to remember these are like used cop cars, so you're getting this run of the mill like. 80, 90, 100,000 mile cop Roll car. Roll of the dice. Roll of the dice, standard vehicle, and she's able to outdrive people in a not race car car. So then when she makes it up like 17 positions or something absurd and then gets taken out in the 83rd or 85th lap, I was like, I was doing, I was just praising her and praising her and praising her, saying how great it was. And we were already doing like standing ovations for her and stuff. And then I dropped a, I just dropped a funny. Like, you know, it was in the context of that. And, and, you know, I got a lot of people that were very upset about it, but there's only one person's feedback that I always listen to and I always just shut up about, and that's Garrett's. And so when I talked with Garrett and he goes, hey, dude, did you say this? I said, yes, this is what I said. And he goes, okay, no problem. Haley's okay. Let's just go forward, you know? And so that's, it was one of those things that the next day Haley leans into the joke. Yeah. She's talking about how all the people on Twitter were like defending her, and she speaks up on Twitter, going, "Yo, I don't need y'all to defend me. I heard it, and it was funny. I'm laughing with him. It's not. We're not laughing at you. We're mm-hmm. laughing with you." And so, luckily, I mean, she could have chosen to burn me at the stake. You know, it could have been the end of my analysis. I think she here. even kind of did a meme about it on the next yeah race. The like next she day, wrote it on the car though, didn't the she? The next day, she came to the Cletuson car. She wrote "Grocery Getter" on. Yeah. The car, she wrote eggs, milk, bread, and then she did, finishes her burnout, has a Publix bag of groceries, and throws it to me over the barrier. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is It's hilarious. a great way to get clicks. 
Yeah. You know, controversy like that. Great yeah. way to get clicks. And like, did we did we go into the gray area? Yeah, but maybe a fraction. But I I don't feel like we're crossing lines. In, in it's that. the white knights. Yeah. Always that come in like to save someone. Yeah. And most people don't need that because they're adults. Yeah. No, but you're. I agree. And it's grown so, men think that they need to come do that. Yes, they did. And there was a um, some people that told me how like i have two daughters and you're the most misogynistic thing i've ever seen on the world it's like that's so crazy because i have a daughter too yeah and we practice misogyny at my home all the time like what (laughs) come on dude like i'm being a dad i'm being a father i'm being a role model it's like um you know and i've always told people i'm an eight out of ten guy meaning eight out of the ten jokes i'm gonna say will usually hit but there's always two out of ten that just in my mind i'm like oh this is gonna be great to say you say it and it's crickets that's how it works like and I'm not trying to be a 10 out of 10 guy. I'm trying to be me and just like enjoy the show and be funny, have some some comic relief mm-hmm. without making it about me. You know, it's like it's not a me show. And so I got to like stay in a lane. And well, it's multiple hours of live. Oh, it's crazy, dude. To it's, just improv your way through it. Yeah. You almost need to go to like improv classes. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you should see my phone, dude. I actually have pre-written Material, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, I have material. There was one event that I went to in um, LS Fest where we had a 45-minute delay due to a sewer line breaking onto the track. And I, and I did the best I could, but it was that moment that I decided I'll never do a live event again without having some hmm. pre-written, practiced material that can give me 15 minutes of me speaking then with crowd interaction, I can I can squeeze 25 minutes of pure comedy out of it. Yeah, that's legitimately stand-up because I'm, yes. I'm a huge stand-up fan. So it's me like, too. I, I always think about like, you know, the car-related stuff needs a little bit of that, but it's so hard to hone a skill like it's that very hard. in a car world where you don't, get, you don't get mic time every weekend. No. So it's hard to hone the skill. No, you're right, and that's where... It, it's it's been a crazy journey and so eventually you know i think this is the year where i'll begin my youtube presence and just doing things that i enjoy with mm-hmm. no real ambition to have some big you know industry changing thing i just want to live my life and, and do fun things and i think there's some things i do in my life that people would enjoy to see and and i think part of that will be some of that like what does it take to actually produce a a valuable entertainment aspect into a live show where you have thousands of people present present and then an unknown number of thousands of people watching globally i mean we get comments from sweden germany like you know yeah it's worldwide for sure just everywhere 100 percent every every place in the world and then like you know people in australia are watching it like starting at like two or like two in the morning or three in the morning to start watching it oh yeah just because of the timing and stuff it's like it's a global event. It is. It, it, it is. And so it's like there's a lot more. The very first event was the first event. And then I think all of our eyes were open. We're like, whoa, mm-hmm. the Internet's receiving this really well. And we knew we put on a good show. The race was a spectacular. And, and, it's, and the best thing is we're just doing it with our friends and having fun. And then we just yeah. have a camera there. We would have done this without it. Like how many times have you and I been at the Freedom Factory on a Sunday where Garrett's like, all right, we're going to get Chief out and just a random. And we just... We're yep. just doing stuff, no cameras, having fun. Like, we do that anyways, so now we're just doing it on a larger format. And so Garrett's put an amazing thing together, and he's got a lot of, I mean, he's got brilliant ideas, and, uh, you know, I look up to him. In, in that the, first one was interesting, too. Oh, yeah, that was a... That story has probably never really even been told. Yeah, and I think about it's... About the COVID first one, where it's like... Yeah. We were there, and 
the day before they were like, hey, yeah. everything's shut down mm -hmm. and everybody's in town. All the cameras are set up. We got this live event supposed to be going spectators. And it's kind of just like, whoa. Yeah. Like, what, what do you do here? Do you roll over and not do it? That was a tough one. Yeah. That was a, and only one person can make that decision. Yeah, no, for real. I think with the introduction of, of Project Prime, um, who's done an amazing job helping put all these live events Rice out. Crispy. Yeah. Shout out to my boy Rice Crispy. Um, he's done a great job. But I think with the smoke show, you saw the smoke show, how they do yeah. these hour long documentary style videos like that was it was more of a movie. Like I could sit there with my family and each new step of the movie was engaging. And I was like, this is good. It's popcorn worthy. And I think the smoke show, as they do more and more shows, it might be something they circle back and do that whole like biography or that whole like in-depth analysis of what did the first freedom 500, um, overcome to make happen. So that was a big, big deal to overcome because it was crazy. Like I remember Garrett was out in the center of it because, nobody could even come within like 50 feet of him and yeah. it was it was like he actually we didn't know we were in a mystery week of like what is going on yeah we is everyone know. here gonna die yeah like that's kind of right. that's how that's how everybody made it sound mm -hmm. like everybody that's within five feet of somebody else they're done well it's funny because like i want to like set the record straight on this is like we did take it very seriously though 100%. Even though we had an event at the beginning, because it was such an unknown, we took such ridiculous precautions. And when you saw the drivers designing their vehicles separately, well, they didn't just go back into the pits and then go hang out with each other. No, we literally had everything. We didn't know either, right? Now, take it for what it is now that what we know a little <laughs> bit more about COVID, but we didn't know. And so we just tried to put on a good show. We knew people were locked up at home and we tried to be safe in ourselves. I mean, I had this one picture that probably lived for 25 seconds where I took a picture of the driver's meeting because of, you remember, is Garrett in the middle of the burnout pit and then a circle with people like 10 yards. They were distance. Distance, like way yeah. outside of the six feet and then another circle. And it looked like we were making like weird shapes in the burnout pit. And I took a picture and Garrett sees me from like across the burnout pit, he goes, did you just take a picture? I go, he goes, delete it now. And I was like, all right, you got it. There's but, a lot of heat taken for that whole yeah, deal. Oh yeah, and it's, I would have told me the same thing. Yeah. I was just like being a kid, you know, I was doing something dumb, but it, 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 was, it was the best thing. He and done, I commend you know? him for that because I couldn't take that situation as seriously as he was able to. Mm -hmm. because I don't think even, you've ever taken anything serious. No, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> you and me both. No, Bronte gets on me yeah. all the time for that. She's like, this is a serious situation. I'm like, yeah, but like yeah. we can make a joke. Like Speaking of serious <laughs> situations, I uh, just changed the subject here. Did you ever see on my Instagram when I went and got my driver's license picture? No, is it bad? Yeah, look at, look at my driver's license picture. Oh, my goodness. What happened to your eyeball? <laughs> I went cross-eyed <laughs> for it. <laughs> So I'm on Instagram and I was like, guys, I have the best idea ever. When I go in to the DMV to get my driver's license picture taken, I'm going to go cross-eyed. And so I like did it on video. Yeah. The very next clip I coming out, I was like, let's go, guys. We did it. Like, And I show the picture on my Instagram and it's just me full cross-eyed vision on my driver's license picture. <laughs> I come home. Oh, my wife just is so just words could not escape her. Like mm. she wouldn't look at, I was like, babe, like, did you see this? He's just funny. She goes, I just don't get why you can't take anything seriously. That's how I, was like, would be, yeah. I was like, but it's a driver's license picture. How serious does it need to be? Like if you boil it down. So my perception of what needs to be serious and not very different than 
most wives or your wives? Or? No, yeah, they, they think life is a lot more serious than oh. I take it. But it's more fun when you don't take it yeah. seriously. We're going to this wedding, and they're like, it's black tie, very serious. I'm like, who the heck wants that? Yeah. I'm like, well, I, was, I was in my backyard, and it was so fun and casual. Yeah, I had one of those weddings. Just like a casual or black tie? Black tie. Oh, man. that's Well, you had a pretty small one, too. Yeah, I this only like had a big wedding oh. black tie. I'm like, that's so, like... So serious. Yeah. But, but it I just looks can't. so good, though. I got to be honest. It looks so good. When I went to my wedding, which was very small, my wife and I were fortunate enough to have it in the Bahamas. We had a, only 17 people there. It yeah. was immediate family See, only. See, so that's fair to have, yeah. like, well, stricter dress code, yeah. I feel like. And it, yeah. Well, I thought so, too. But, of course, brothers being brothers, ah. they kick and scream their whole way to the grocery store. Then they get there, and they're there. You know, it's like... Kind of was like, dude, you, you're coming anyways. You can't not go. Yeah. Just wear the thing. And I had one brother being like, uh, well, dude, I can't get it done. Can't get it done. Just too busy, too busy. And I had this whole text. And he, it was a big argument in our family. Everybody knew about it. I had this whole text ripped up how I was going to tell him, just piss off. Don't come. Like, it's not even worth it. So you know what I did instead? I said, no worries. Just get a suit. And I'll have the tailor meet you in your hotel room at Atlantis. No response. And then somebody goes, well, what if he shows up with no suit? I, I go, no problem. There's a mall inside Atlantis. It's a casino. We'll get him a brand new suit there. Oh, they, they'll sell you we'll one. We'll get you a suit right there. It'll yeah. be a $4,000 suit, but oh, you'll look so goddamn one. good. And to tell you what, since I'm paying for it, I was going to wet and run right into the ocean. From Atlantis. I was going to leave it there, bro. Like, so anyways, you know, it's like who doesn't give their brother a hard time? I would be, it would be weird if they didn't give me a hard time. So it, my wedding has its own stories and it was awesome. But yes, we were all in black ties and it was so nice to see every gentleman in a black suit, black tie, white shirt. They looked good. My pictures look great. Their pictures look great. The women looked wonderful. They all wore the same color dress. And it's like for a small wedding, it looked good. Yeah, that's fair, I think, for a small wedding yeah, to do that. Yeah. I think the bigger you get, yeah. it gets a little bit tougher. Yeah. Like mine was fairly small. I think it was 80 people in my backyard, yeah. and I, I wanted it to Your be wedding casual. was great, dude. It was a fun time. Yeah, your wedding was a blast. There's a video on the second channel of it if you guys want to experience the yeah. live action. Any wedding with Brent Levistad is a wedding. Like, you cannot have a great wedding without Brent Levistad. A garage burnout. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big garage burnout. Yeah. 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 That was funny. That was a good time. So friends with expensive hobbies. How important is that? Very important. I, I heard somebody talking about this. They were like, I like to have friends with very expensive hobbies because you're always around successful people at that point. And I was like, shit, that's, oh, yeah. that's how I feel about racing. I'm always with somebody that's yeah making way more money than me. And it's it's great. Very important. I don't want to go somewhere where I'm the rich guy in the room. Mm hmm. Mostly because that would be a very poor room. Yeah. Well, I think you, that it is very important. And, and we've all heard the, uh, ver the adage of, you know, show me your five closest friends. I'll show you who you're going to be. Um, I have friends here, but I would probably say the five closest people that I'm around, I would say all but one of them outperform me on a, like, on a very large level. And, and it's not mm -hmm. performance. I'm not choosing my friends by how much money you make. Yeah. But the people that I associate with in a professional and personal life uh, have things that I need to get better at, right? Does that make sense? Yep. And it's not always money. Like, Parker teases me all the time. He goes, you're the only friend that I have that talks about money all the time. It's like, well, 
dig deeper, dude. I'm not talking about money because I have a relationship with money. Yeah. It's because I want to learn on how to create a financial level where I don't have to look at my bank account for any of the things I want to do in life. That's what level of financial freedom I want. It's not a thing or a place or a location or a zip code to live. It's like, I want to be able to always tell my kids, yes. Doesn't mean I'm gonna, but I want to have the financial ability. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I think it is very important to have people around you that are doing things in different areas that you think that they can provide value and you can assist them. And there's a good and even exchange of knowledge and information. And so I've got some great people in my corner that um, make great money but they also are wise because of it. And they've made, you got to remember this, like somebody that makes two or $300,000 a month, right? They didn't just get there. They didn't just start making 5,000 a month. They were making $5,000 a month. They were making 10 or 20 and 30. And guess what? At one point they were making a hundred and they went back down to 5,000. So it's like, you got to understand that journey and you got to respect those people that have hustled all the way to that point. And so one of my good buddies, Isaiah, he works in our company. I look up to him immensely. Like him and his wife, they're a young couple. They're doing very well for themselves. But he's been able to do things in the space of our business that I haven't been able to be successful with. So plugging into him, whether it's just going to a dinner once a month and getting around them mm-hmm. more until the time where it's like, hey, I need to pick your brain. I need this. I need this. I need this. People should be able to say yes if they're your friends. Yeah, I'm really bad about that. Like I, I need to pick my friend's brain more and like ask them more specific questions on that i guess yeah and that's something i would like to become better at and there's so many people around me that have this information that i want to get out and that's also what i can do here on the podcast which i like to do that's so true bring some people on that have because there's so many people that i know that have so much success and you wouldn't even know about it half the time no like they they're like yeah my success was 20 years ago and i'm still just living it Mm -hmm. and i'm sure you know who i'm talking about like people that are in this yeah. in in our group i guess yeah and it's it's cool to hear from them even when they just give like little snippets of what they've done and do and like it's really impressive and that's that's what i need to hone in on yeah well i mean again without getting too much into the money thing i think i saw this on instagram in december of last year and it and it said help rich people solve their problems they pay better and like i work in sales and so for the past five years, I've been in the same job and I've never really approached any of my friends about, hey, what I do. Like you've heard, we've talked about life insurance yeah. before and that's what I started in. But now this year, I'm going to be getting a degree as a certified financial planner. It's a very high up level of certification in the financial services world, which is going to give me just a little bit more credibility to kind of be able to speak and people go, okay, this is the way it is. This is He's making the recommendations that are mm-hmm. sensible to help build a portfolio and amass some wealth. But um, I spent so many years just working in the business and never really helping friends or or even asking them. But it wasn't but a year and a half ago that one of our friends got diagnosed with with cancer. Now she's completely clear of it. She's made an outstanding recovery and I'm very happy for her and proud of her. But it's, it's, it, it, I'll never forget it because the type of insurance we offer helps you when you get diagnosed with cancer, it gives you money up front so that you don't have to go to your job every day of the week, that you're getting chemo and radiation, and then you go back to work because you need the money. And so mm-hmm. that's the type of insurance I have on myself. I think every young person out there should have some type of life insurance. I think for people like us, we don't need the type of life insurance where it only pays out if you die. The chances, although we do risky things, the chances of us in our 30s, 40s, and 50s of just falling over and dying is rather unlikely. It does happen. 
but I chose to get a lot of insurance on myself that gives me liquidity if something happens. Because I am so young, Cooper, I don't have a million and a half dollars in the bank to cover my ass if I got diagnosed with a cancer or an illness or can't work for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. So that's why I'm leveraging a very small portion of my income to let the insurance company take on the risk, not me. So I'm, like, I'm spending like $106 a month for my insurance. That gives me well over a million dollars if I have something serious happen. So I'm like earmarking a very small portion of my income and letting the insurance company take on all the risk for an agreed upon amount of time. It's like, so seeing that happen to my friends, I lost a friend, Taylor Roberts, in Arizona in a motorcycle crash. And I had been doing insurance at that time. And he left behind a four-year-old girl. And he had split from his wife at that time. But had I had the conversation with the guys I rode motorcycles with, and we rode very recklessly. Yeah. And sure enough, the night he died, I can't help but just say, hey, dude, you were doing this and this. Like, you know what I mean? It just happened. But I'll never forget those situations. I could have said something to people I care about. And just had a really uncomfortable conversation because it's really weird for me to hit you up. It's and a like, tough conversation with lame. people you know. Yeah, dude. And I don't, I don't want some do random that. person. You know, you travel yeah. to Orlando or whatever, yeah. or local to sell insurance to is so different. Yeah, because you're disconnected. Well, the way I sell insurance, I don't cold call. I don't warm mark. I don't ever hit up any of my friends to mm-hmm. offer them insurance. I we have people that reach out to our company and we call them leads. But these people reach out to us asking for assistance with insurance. Would you rather call that phone number of somebody that's already made an inquiry or would you rather go put a booth up at the state fair and hand out mints or let somebody spend to win a prize chance to win a TV just to get their information to harass them about insurance? Like, yeah. That's not me. I'm not that guy. I will not door knock to sell. You'd rather buy the leads. Yeah, I'd rather just have people come to me. It's like mm-hmm. people write us letters, actually, and they say, here's my date of birth. Here's my age. Here's the amount of insurance I'm looking to have because I just bought this home. Help me out. It's literally like a cry for help. And I go, hey, it's Spencer. I got your letter here. I'm in the area helping out a few families this week. What day works best for you? Yeah. It's so easy. Like, I don't ever have people cuss me out anymore because it's like, hey, that's really weird. Like, I have this letter. They're already planning to do that. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's weird because you wrote your date of birth. I'm assuming that's you, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did do that. Oh, my (laughs) wife did that. Um, Tell you what, dude, this week's not good. Hey, no worries. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. I'm going to be in the area next week. I'll just give you a call then. So the financial planning thing interests me in a kind of a weird question, I guess. So... If I were to post, like, I'm, you know, in buying some crypto or something, Mm -hmm. I am not a licensed financial advisor. So I write, this is not financial advice or whatever. What kind of regulations does that put? Because there's a lot of, there's lately, there's a lot of people getting sued for, you know, pumping some crypto or claiming financial advice, but they're not financial advisors. Doesn't that put a different rule set on you if you did do that yeah as so, a financial advisor correct as a legal finance yeah that's where i'd be interested correct. like what that changes things yes so it actually i've had people advise me not to get my license as a certified financial planner okay yeah because i am now in a area of regulation yep right now finra is the regulatory body that regulates people like me in insurance securities license, um, you know, financial services, products, things like that. Now, here's what's interesting about FINRA. It's a private company. They're not a government. They're not a subsidiary of the SEC. Yeah. They're a private company. So it's kind of like you kind of dance into this, like where it's a private company making rules and coming after you and finding you and things like that. But 
everyone starts to get like, hey, there's a ton of regulation. You're going to be very heavily regulated and things like that. And I go, okay, that's fine. But if I practice and perform my business based on the subset of morals that I have and I follow the regulations that have been set out in front of me and if I just stay in my lane, how would, I, how would that be a bad thing, right? Because how am I also going to acquire a client that's worth $150 million being able to make portfolio recommendations or advising some of their assets um, without the credentials that back me up as being like a highly educated financial services professional. Okay. So in my mind, it's like, okay, well, I can keep playing with the little fish. I have to fish a lot and I have to fish often to earn the type of lifestyle that I want to earn for myself, which I can do and have been doing. And it's great. Mm -hmm. Or I can become better at what I do. And it's like Parker, I, I look up to him because dude, the guy is out of town every two or three months doing something, getting some I sort of think he added, works. I don't think he works either. I'm he's getting not convinced. Yeah. Yeah. He comes to Project Prime the other day where my office is at temporarily. And he goes like, hey, dude, I was he's leaving. And I was like, oh, later. He goes, well, you're a peasant. You have to work on a Friday. And I was like, all right, dude, Mr. Monday through Thursday guy. Off I don't think he works. Not convinced. <laughs> but in all reality, though, he does spend a lot of his time continuing education. Yeah. So he's in these seminars for do you think it's fun to be nine hours of a day at a hotel conference convention center, sitting there listening, watching slides? It's probably not fun, but it probably feels really good when you're holding that certificate after and then you have them on your wall and you can show your clients, hey, this is what I continue to do to make sure I'm at the top of my game to make sure that you get the top of the service and products I, I provide. That's how I feel about financial services. So this year is going to be my education year. I focus really heavily on the helicopter stuff. I got that done in record time. I have one more, a couple more license in aviation that I'm going to get fixed wing, um, you know, a tail dragger endorsement. I, I, I want to do some of the other things. So I'm, I'm a little bit more diversified, but that's going to be secondary to my professional life now. So Parker does a great man. He, he's constantly educating himself. But yes, the regulations on becoming a certified financial planner or um, a certified um, financial analyst or a registered investment advisor, all those things, you enter into a world of a little bit more regulation. You just got to be better. Yeah, you just kind of open yourself up to that because there's right now there's a lot of people getting sued in the crypto world for yeah, shilling, I, you know, FTC and F, FTX and stuff like yeah. that. I'll be honest what my experience was with crypto. In 2017, I spent $2,000 of my own money. I bought only one cryptocurrency. I bought Bitcoin. So it was like, what, three-tenths of a Bitcoin at that yeah. time. In 2019, it had gone up. My 2000 turned into 16000 So I was like, well, that was fun. That's enough for me. Mm -hmm. I cashed it out. And guess what I did? I poured it right back into my business. My returns and gains and growth on my own money is hundreds of percent when I pour it back into my business. So why would I go, you know, siphoning off portions of my assets to do that? Yes, diversification is important. But for me, I did it. I could say I did it. I did well in it. Whatever, you know. Yeah, I think for most people, they would just think like there's a plateau the more you put in eventually starts to level out. And that would be where I would think like, you know, this podcast, putting more money into this studio isn't necessarily going to put more money out. Making it nicer, yeah. a nicer table isn't necessarily going to well, up the growth. And that's no. where like, I know it's going to plateau at a certain point of like money in isn't money out. Like upgrading to this level definitely 
was as far as I really need to go. Yeah. Well, this is so beautiful right now. And you still have your mobile setup. So like, yeah, I thought about like, you know, I would love to take you for a ride in the helicopter. How cool would that be if we set up in a field? Yeah. Quiet field in the middle of nowhere. And you and I could do a podcast out there. Like go hang out in the private. Exactly. Exactly. So I love what you've done here. I wouldn't change anything. It's like, this is where you're at right now. It's mm-hmm. like you've seen Joe Rogan change his studio countless times, and guess what? He'll probably change it again. Yeah, and I don't think it makes it any better. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it matters have, to him. It's the content, the people you're bringing on. Are they having good conversations? Are yeah. they providing value? Are, you, are your viewers interested? Are they listening? It's really very simple. Yeah, that's on, That's really only as far as I need to go. Um, I listen to uh, Meet Kevin. You ever listen to him? He's he's on YouTube, and he's recently just talked about how he started becoming a financial advisor and all the different things that he has to now go through, even though he's been giving financial like he does live feeds, does financial advice all the time. Mm -hmm. But now, because he actually is a registered financial advisor, it it changes how he's able to give information and what he's able to say he's investing in and stuff like that. And it's like it's a weird it's a weird world of changing things. Yeah, no, I agree. Um. I just, uh, I think if you want to get one-on-one financial advice, call me, right? And I'll share with you what I know about the topics that we're talking about. I'm not going to, the best part about working with me is that I've always been like, hey, I don't know everything, but I know the people I can call that know the thing you're probably asking. Let's just get them on the phone. So I've got good relationships in the financial services world, but you can never know everything unless I'm like the CEO of BlackRock and I've got trillions of dollars that we oversee or if like I think my life goal like and this is the craziest thing if I could be the CEO of of a hedge fund like if I could have such a comprehensive understanding of how to manage a portfolio that I'm getting people with hundreds or millions of dollars saying yeah here's a 50 million dollar allocation yeah that level of comprehension in financial services is is the top level that's the top one percent of one percent now, that level of income that I would make there is, like, insane. I'm not chasing that. I just want to be that good in my field where people go, go to him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how passionate I am about it, and that's why this year is going to be a huge groundbreaking year for me. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. Thing, first thing that comes to mind <laughs> is um, growing up, I, I lived out in Long Island, and the prominent hedge fund investor for a lot of those people was Bernie Madoff. Oh, my goodness. So... My first experience with all of that was my dad was a roofer for million dollar homes. Yeah. And when all that happened, he's like, oh, yeah, a lot of customers had to sell their homes. Like, it was like that was it was directly connected to like my area. So it was a very weird thing. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, Bernie Madoff was the uh, legend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He basically had America's most prolific uh, Ponzi scheme. Yeah. It was the. On paper, it was the best hedge fund ever. Yeah. The most profitable yeah. investment you could make yeah. was him. And nobody understood why. And then turns out it wasn't possible. Yeah. It turns <laughs> out it wasn't real. He was actually taking your money and yeah. showing it to other people to be like, look at how much money we just earned. Which leads me to something else, Cooper. You asked me uh, in our phone call preparation for this, which we talked very briefly, you wanted to be told something interesting. Yeah, tell me something cool. I want to see if you happen to know what the largest automobile car heist has been in the history of the automobile. What was the largest theft of automobiles? Well, they did pretty good in Gone in 60 Seconds. (laughs) 
They did. Vin Diesel is definitely taking a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Top 10 right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nicolas Cage and Vin Diesel. I was going to say, or the Italian job. <laughs> Ooh. There's <laughs> quite a few that I come yeah. to mind well, instantly. Well, just stole gold. They didn't really steal the Italian job. Yeah. They yeah. had those little mini Gone Coopers. Gone in 60 seconds is a lot of money. And then, you know. Didn't Gone Tur- Didn't they steal a bunch of cars all at the same sec- all at the same time? Yeah, they basically... I think that was the plot of that movie. The plot of the movie was the the, the brother of Nicolas Cage got in some trouble financially or with drugs or something. And mm-hmm. in order to pay his debt, they had to get all these cars for this guy. Like this super like bad car collector. So, Mark Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some super rich, evil yeah. car collector. That, too many cars. Too many he doesn't cars. need them. Yeah, so Mark Robin Mitchell. Robin Hood, take them from the rich, give them to the poor. The yeah. poor need that Bugatti. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So basically, Mark Mitchell says, I need all these cars in 24 hours. And that's gone in six seconds. They go get the cars. They have 24 hours to get them all. They're running around town. Yeah. They nickname all the cars those girls' names. and Yeah. The, that's kind of how it all worked. Nah, classic Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah. He was really the guy in that deal. So the largest heist, if I were to guess, it was probably one car that was very expensive. Probably some kind of classic Ferrari. If I were to guess, I don't know anything about it, but I think most people would think, oh, you stole like a ship full of cars or something. Think bigger scale. Think that scale. Yes. Go that way. I'll give you some hints. Hmm. Think ship full of cars. Think much bigger. Think much bigger. Not a single car. Interesting. I would think it would be some, you know, gullwing Ferrari that was worth $80 million or something crazy. So ship full of cars. Um... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Man, well, who would who would even be able to steal a ship full of cars? I would imagine it probably happened in some kind of communist country <laughs> that stole it. Maybe, yes. you know, Cuba, Venezuela type of South American Good. country. Good. You're right on the track. Would you like me to um, let you, allow you to keep going? Okay, so it was probably the drug cartel in Mexico, Florida. No, Pinpoint that's not something. It, no? Okay, let's but, let's hear it. Okay, so back in the 70s. That was only my deductive reasoning. No, that was good, and I helped cars. you a little bit, yeah, but yeah. that was really good. So okay, back in you. the 70s, back in the 1970s, the North Korean economy was doing rather well, and it was an evolving market. Um, for automobile manufacturers. Um, Alpha was one of them. Volvo was one of them. And a mm-hmm. couple other manufacturers that no longer exist. But Volvo struck a deal with the North Korean government. Was you can imagine, there's no business in North Korea. It's just the government you do business with. Yeah. For roughly 1,000 Volvos. Those Volvos were all transported into North Korea. And not a single one of those Volvos has ever been paid for. Amassing to a roughly $2.2 billion worth of vehicles. For a thousand Volvos? Well, I I think inflation and interest puts you at about a $2.2 million debt. That's a bad deal. Yep. So, North Korea from Sweden stole a thousand Volvos. And it is documented as the largest automotive heist in history. They kind of had that coming, though. You know, (laughs) I mean, if you're going to give that many cars to, if you're going to. 
think yeah. that you're going to sell that many cars I mean, to North like, Korea and you're like, oh, I'm, you know, making all this money off some communist regime here. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. Well, the first and, thing uh, I thought while I'm reading this article, I'm like, no deposit, no amount of money up front. I'm reading like never any mention of a deposit or cash up front. They probably gave them currency that was worthless. Right. You can only use it here. Yeah, yeah. And we won't accept it. Yeah, dude. Oh, uh, we printed especially for you. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, how easy would that have been? Yeah. <laughs> dude, so I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that's when a I was, cool story. Yeah, cool. Good. I'm glad that was something you hadn't heard. Yeah, I it, like Volvos, too. So it's said that a thousand of them are still probably running around. Yeah. Until uh, roughly 2010, those cars were still being seen in, in Pyongyang. I might be mispronouncing mm. but the capital of, of North Korea. But, yeah, until roughly about 10 years ago, a lot they were still being seen on the roads and stuff. So, yeah. as you can imagine, 70s to now, it's like, I love Volvo. But if they still are on the road driving, all power to them. I mean, they might be. It's like in Cuba where there's not many cars coming into the country. They kind of have to just keep the ones that are there running. Yeah. And if you go to Cuba, you see all these like old classic cars and people are like, oh, my gosh, they're so beautiful and cool. Mm -hmm. But then you open the hood and it's like a lawnmower engine yeah, because yeah. the engine had blown up and yep. they, they don't have anything else. For yeah, them. no, of course. Do you ever hear about what happened with Porsche and how they lost a whole ship of cars? As um, an insurance yeah. provider, I'm sure your <clears throat> your ears start to peak up oh, and yeah. you're like oh you lost a whole ship of 911 turbo s's yeah <sighs> i'm sure that was cool yeah yeah i think the insurance company that insures that ship is out of england i can't remember their name but yeah big insurance that's probably a bad deal is that like a take an insurance company down type of deal no believe it or not insurance companies um are they insured by another insurance yeah company? so it's it's funny insurance companies in the united states they have the um legal reserve a legal reserve means that as an insurance company to be qualified as a legal reserve you have to have um more assets than you have liabilities, right? And so some of our biggest companies, I mean, insurance companies have hundreds of billions of dollars. Insurance companies, I've always told people, are good at, very good at two things, knowing when you're going to die based off your age, health, height, weight, medications, and then making money. They're very good, okay? So in 2008, I forget the number, don't fact check me, but it was like three, four, five hundred banks were bailed out by the U.S. government. Yep. Only one insurance company was bailed out by the U.S. government in 2008, and the only reason that American General was bailed out was the portion of their assets that was that had failed was the portion of AIG's portfolio that paid um, congressmen's retirements, and it was managed by the government. So it's like the part that was managed by the government was yeah. the part that failed and got bailed out, and Warren Buffett declined on buying out AIG to buy them out, but they got funding from the government. But Aside from American General, AIG, no insurance companies went broke in 2008. Insurance companies have so much money, and I used to think it was from me and you paying our monthly premiums. It's really not. It's really a lot of that is the aggregate accumulation of funds that allows them to invest part of their portfolio. So from an insurance standpoint, they have the legal reserve, which means they have to have more dollars of assets than, than liabilities. They pay into a federal insurance fund and a state insurance fund. So that's how it works in America. But in other countries, insurance companies... Our investment companies, man, they make so much money buying long-term federal-grade bonds and things like that. I mean, things that I don't even fully comprehend yet. Yeah, but, yes, bonds but, and that stuff yeah. gets really complicated yeah. when they start breaking them down a lot. Yeah, well, there was a huge insurance claim. It was like a $200 million fraud that this billionaire out of um, this billionaire billionaire out of Greece, he owned a transportation company for like oil transportation rigs and, and other various ships, but 16 or 17 super tankers, let's call them, right? Well, one of them had a very suspicious ending of its life 
where there was a fire and then the investigators got there and there was crews on the ship saying, let it burn. And like, there was a lot of very sketchy things happening to the point where the insurance company's like, all right, we're sending an investigator. You mm-hmm. guys should look this up. The investigator ends up being assassinated. The guy investigating, whether it's an insurance fraud or the cause of, an, of the claim on the boat gets assassinated in, in a different country. And, um, it was in South Africa that yeah. he was assassinated. There was a bomb in his car. Well, it turns out it was confirmed as fraud. And so, the, I mean, if you think about it, insurance company having to pay out $300 million They're going to investigate that. They're going to investigate They're going to send a few people. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, to go into the Porsche thing, yeah, it's like you when you have these huge claims, you got to really take them seriously. And those cars are like bottom of the ocean. Like they're not like... They're, they're done. They're gone. You're yeah. not getting those things. Well, there's there's all conspiracy debate on Titanic deal too. I oh, really? I hear oh that I've heard people so much debt? claim that that was insurance reasons really? that the ship had a flaw that they knew it wasn't going to last the run of its term or you know make it back and forth. Do whatever flaw it had was really? detrimental. So it was more cost efficient to sink it than wow. it was to fix the flaw. On its maiden voyage, though, you wouldn't let it make some money first? It probably just knew. Maybe maybe but the way that the policy ask- worked by once you started to make money, once it once this shows some income rolling in. And it devalued you- the ship. I don't know. That's interesting because I feel like if you saw a flaw in the ship, I would probably patch it. Let's say the ship's supposed to last 50 years. You're like, yo, we're going to get 20 years out of this unit. I would probably make 10 or 15 years worth of income. Or if it's this ship is hardly seaworthy. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> type of like flaw. Just r- like wow. that thing is going to break in half. That is a theory. What's interesting about that it theory. It would make sense because they, they made a lot of insurance money and the people that were supposed to be on that ship weren't on that ship that day. But the engineer of the ship was on that ship. He might not have known. Cooper, think about what you just said. Have you ever met an engineer? Yes. They think they're a lot smarter than they but are. But hold on. If you're the lead engineer... I went to engineering school for a while. I understand that, but think about this. If the lead engineer does not know the ship is not manufactured to be seaworthy, mm-hmm. who did they tell? The captain? He don't, He's not in the ship yeah, making but maybe process. It, maybe it wasn't the engineer. The, so maybe the engineer the investors. made it, and then... Maybe the-, <laughs> the engineer was determined to be on this ship as punishment for making such a... F- terrible ship for the people that paid for the ship or nobody's going to question it if the engineer also went down that's interesting because what about why would this? you question it if you're like that exact point i'm not gonna be like oh the engineer went down with it like obviously he didn't know <sighs> Ooh. right yes what about the sister ship that was made well they say that was actually the the titanic the names were switched some yes, people say that too. Yes, they were. So they it would were make switched. sense. And even when they like James Cameron goes underwater to look at them, there was some funky stuff going on with what the name said. I've I've heard some crazy yeah. things, and I am yeah. I am like love conspiracy theories. I don't you know go around saying they're all true, but yeah. I would oh I happily them. hear from they're any great. person if you tell me you know Australia doesn't exist. I'm gonna l- hear you out because. It's, it's hilarious it's and interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. You've been there. <laughs> if you have enough facts to 
to prove yourself, I'm going to listen. If you're just yelling, I'm not yeah. going to listen. Well, to touch on that, I was at a restaurant recently, and I don't prefer lemon in my water, and I just thought I'd Google it. I'd be like, all right, is lemon in the water good for you? Pulled up an article. I opened a new browser. Is lemon in the water bad for you? I had two articles. Showed my wife. Look, hun, lemon in the water is good for you. She goes, oh, hey, look, it's bad for you. She's like, gaslighting her. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, crap. <laughs> well, the one thing I always heard about the lemon was like they don't wash the outside of them. So they're just dropping some dirty lemon into your water half yeah. the time. I've worked in a bar. Yeah. Seen what we do to bar fruit. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would imagine it happens mostly because, especially you go to a crowded restaurant and they're like yeah, slammed, they're not going to be washing Well, them. generally speaking, we actually would purchase it pre-washed from our distributor. So um, then somebody's handling it. Yeah, it usually goes in giant industrial fruit washing bins. Picture mm-hmm. like a big washer and dryer. I mean, like then you hand it to, you know, yeah, busboy. Well, boy, that's well when handle. we would cut, I mean, this is true. When we would do our prep work for the bar, you'd have a glove on. You'd have gloves yeah. on. And you'd be cutting everything, and it just goes right into a sanitized bucket. You must have worked for a pretty good one, because sometimes I watch this Gordon Ramsay show where he goes in and he uh, goes through bad restaurants, and they're bad. That's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> I've never worked in restaurants like that. I have never worked in restaurants that like just had a complete disregard for food safety. Yeah. I also worked in restaurants in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is a very competitive food culture. You can't really get away with that kind of stuff out yeah, there. I think if we went to like Reno, Nevada and some of those small towns, like no knock on Shout Reno. Out Reno. <laughs> Shout out Reno. But I mean, just name a random small place where there's not like competition for food. Yeah. Like maybe here in Florida. Bring maybe bring it in. Bring it in. There's a lot of Dude, them that are questionable. When I first moved here, I was like, this place sucks for food. Like when it's like going out, you're going to a chain yeah. restaurant here. There's no small niche restaurants that have like a very but sometimes the chains are trustworthy at least yeah i agree that's the problem i'm like i hate just going to a chain restaurant but then you look at the one that's like been there for 40 years and you're like how good is how clean is that place i understand and i I hate to be that too because i hate to be like oh it's so dirty (laughs) because then i'm like what am i i get it no, I totally understand, dude. You can't you can't go wrong with an Applebee's margarita. Great grandparents were on Ellis Island eating nothing, and I'm like, is dirty, is dirty. <laughs> yeah. Ew. I know, yeah. like all freaking whiny. I hate no. that thought. Hey, listen, I really appreciate good food. I cook a lot at the house, and when I cook, I go way hard in the paint, and so I, I love chefing it up. But um, yeah, food, man. Here in uh, Bradenton, we're, we're just lacking the diversity. There's yeah. not a, there's not a big culture diversity here, so that makes our cuisine very you know narrow, I would say. But when I lived in downtown Seattle, I was blown away. I had like Bangladeshian cuisine, I had Jamaican cuisine, yeah. I had Korean cuisine. Like there's so many different cultures you could just go into the pit on. Like going to restaurants and looking at menus that are not in the language you understand. And having a conversation with the server while you're sitting on a, a cushion with no seat, no table, and they have a metal like ten foot round dish, and they bring out the food in this, uh, uh, like I don't even know, like a mocajete almost. It's like a huge mocajete, and it puts it in the middle, and then they just pass out bread to everybody, and they go dive in, and then you're just like looking at the people that invited you, and you're like ripping it off, and you're all grabbing from the yeah. same plate. You're like, hell yeah, this is what's up. Like, but I love trying new things. Like, but yeah, especially with food. But here we're so. It's so closed off. Even like when we were we were just in Houston, and I always tell the wife, I'm like, I'm getting tacos and I'm getting barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't yeah. talk to me. Yep. About anything else. Like, and then unfortunately, we go there and I eat track food and Bucky's. But <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> yeah. I think if I ever do a race week, I'll probably be, 
I'll come up with a way to do meal preps. I'll have a George Foreman. Mm. I'll bring, I'll, I'll just stop and get meats and proteins and whatever I need, but I will do meal preps because I, my body, when you eat that track food, it just does not agree with it. Not in the Toughens sense that you, you have like massive diarrhea. I'm just saying like my body, it doesn't fuel me appropriately. Like I'm not operating on all cylinders when I'm eating the garbage. Oh I yeah, energy level food. at the end, people are like, yeah, you're tired. I'm like, yeah, because like you ate taquitos every day. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> of course you're Could tired. Imagine if each day for two meals of the day, I gave you a filet of salmon and fresh steamed vegetables with some rice. A chicken breast and some rice. Just a chicken breast and some rice. And we'll give you barbecue sauce. And, you know, you're not competing for a fitness competition. You can make it enjoyable. But how much different if you had, like, a savory, protein, hot meal? You'd be like, oh, I'm on my game. Think about your reaction time. Think about the decision-making you do. Like, it's like you're on race week. It's like... I wanted to, um, like buy one of those little hot dog carts to use as a trailer instead. Yeah. Like just some dirty water dogs out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stop talking about it. Start being about it. Dude. I know. I've looked at a few. I was like, man, and then, and then they have all these tiny, they have tiny wheels. So I'm like, Oh, that thing's going to be rolling down the highway. But that's the thing, dude. You just got to like do a video on your car channel where you buy the hot dog cart and you soup it up for the road. Yeah. Put some like eight ply tires the on umbrella it. Just out get a there, trailer still tire. Flap. Yeah, dude, make it funny and be like, help fun race week cooper's hot dogs yeah two just bucks. start selling them yeah bring i got sketchy with me you could just sell hot dogs all day i'll go race the car <laughs> yeah i mean dude there's no reason you can't sell some hot dogs the hustle never stops right yeah right you're gonna have to have a chase vehicle full of buns and, and hebrew nationals but you just stop at a grocery store or whatever yeah stop at restaurant supply yeah yeah so you've lived a lot of places where where would you move back to if you had to, you know, you're leaving Bradenton now. Bradenton sucks. It just went underwater. Can I tell you Global my least favorite place it. I've lived? Mm-hmm. Bradenton. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Um, what I find different about Bradenton is although I have a good group of friends, I think in general, the people here in Florida are much more quick to anger. They're less understanding and comprehending of a set of circumstances. They're meaner. Now, it's not to say my feelings aren't hurt. You find mean people everywhere you go. I just think Florida people stand their ground, and I love that about Florida. People are not going to budge when you press them. It's like you don't want to be the fallover community or, like, let's take a very liberal place I've lived, like downtown Seattle. Downtown Seattle was beautiful for the things I liked about it, but I met no friends there. I don't have any friends left in Seattle. Now, I was focusing on my business very heavily, but none of the people I met were like, hey, we have a common set of similarities that we both like. So Seattle would be off the list. California, I lived there temporarily growing up um, in my like 19 to 20 range, and I loved it. And best I was weather living, in the world. Best weather. It's close to the beach. I surfed a ton. Yeah. Like, my life was very single track, like make enough money for groceries and board wax and and I lived that life and it was awesome. Um, but nowadays I don't think it's the right place to leave. They have state income tax, highest taxes in the country aside from New York. Like I'm just probably out of there. Arizona, um, I did most of my growing up there, so it very made me really happy to leave there. But I could see myself going back to that climate or Colorado. I enjoyed Denver, Colorado. I don't know much about how it's changed differently. I like seasons. I like weather. I like yeah. the cold. Like I'm cool with all of it. And I'm also the type of guy that's like, I'll just deal with the, what the weather brings. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not, I hate the cold, I hate the hot. I think summers here in Florida are the worst ones because you can't fix it. It's just humid it's and hot. It's insane. 
It's insane. This but, whole year has been summer, basically. Yeah. We haven't gotten anything colder than like 70s. No, we had some 40s here. Where very, I like very three days. Three, three days, yeah. And like my whole house goes into like we're turning the heat on. I'm like, yo, like, everybody chill, on. right? But my wife grew up here and she hates the cold. It's like, I think it's so funny. Like if you thought about it, would you rather be in the cold or would you rather be in the hot? And the way I've always viewed it is like, well, with the cold, you buy the appropriate apparel to make you warm when it's cold. Mm -hmm. What do you buy to make you cool when it's 95 degrees out with 85% humidity? You can't buy anything. There's no amount of apparel you can wear to make you cooler. So versus this winter, it's like you can fix cold by adding layers and wearing the appropriate gear. So that's my perspective. Colorado or Arizona could see me being a happy camper there. I'm envious of Colorado because they have outdoors. I feel like we don't have outdoors here, and maybe I'm being closed-minded. No, we don't. We don't have hiking. nothing. We don't have rock climbing. We don't have the up north. We don't have the woods. We don't have the mountains. We don't have mountain biking. We don't have snowboarding. We don't have sledding. We don't have... Um, rock climbing, we don't have... I mean, yes, we have it's some kayaking, but we don't have... very little outdoors. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like there's a lot of things you can do in Colorado that are extremely... Like, the fresh air in Colorado is insane. Like, yeah. hunting or hunting also. Walking on the front range, hiking some of those mountains up in the Breckenridge and Dillon and um, some of those communities up there, Arapaho Basin, you just breathe differently. Yeah, like going on Rocky Mountain Race Week, like just seeing that scenery Mm, in the springtime and the summer is the most insane scenery ever. And then you see like Florida and you're like, oh, there's a gator and a tree. Yeah. And it looks the same kind of everywhere you look. There's beaches, but like it's not really outdoors. It's just like sitting on a beach. Yeah. And it's so funny because the friend group that I'm part of here and you included, you're obviously part of the friend group, but um we've never been to the beach once and they always go oh go to the beaches for the tourists i'm like yeah but we live here like it's actually kind of nice to just go rip around like play some tackle football or something but it's like there's a definitely a disparity i grew up on the beach so i just have no desire anymore like i spent my whole childhood at a beach in a beach community gotcha so it's just like nice yeah (laughs) you're making it sound so terrible real bougie i know i I hate that but like any i feel like anything you grew up with you're just like you push it away you almost reject yeah what you for me that is competitive sports like i played competitive sports at such a high level growing up and my brothers and i was probably the worst out of my brothers and you would still consider the level of competitive sports i played very high but then when people are like, I didn't, I don't even know who played in the Super Bowl this recent one. I don't follow the European Soccer League. I don't follow football, mm-hmm. baseball, or anything like that. And part of that was because I was so heavily into it growing up that it uh, didn't allow me to take on other things in my life. So I was like, I just don't care about that anymore. The whole aspect of me wearing another grown man's jersey and cheering him on, that's, yeah, that's no for desire. some people. I just don't, I just, ra- I'd rather go to the park with my daughter and watch her play on a playground. I would literally rather rather do that. It's funny you say that about the competitive sports because I never, I didn't have, like, I never played sports really growing up, mostly because I was uncoordinated until probably this year. <laughs> I was, I was too, like, basically until, like, you know, 18, I was not on par enough to play competitive sports. Yeah. And now with racing is, like, the first time I actually competitively can compete in something and actually, like, do it. So that's why... Dude. I do it so as much as I can competitively race. And people are like, oh, I'll just go to test and tune and go down the track. I'm like, that's not fun to me. Yeah. It's only fun when you're racing. Well, that's part of the reason why I haven't built my car yet. 
Okay. Because the competitive aspect, once I get a taste of that again, I'm going to be the best. very hungry. It's the best. I'm going to be very hungry. And it takes a lot of money to play in that game. So I don't know. I think the first car I build will be one that I can drive with my wife and my daughter and just go do fun stuff. Keep the AC in it, but make it a street car with a cage, probably 800 horsepower, something like that. But, um, yeah, the competitive aspect, I admire what you guys do and just going faster and the money you spend on parts to go faster. Mm-hmm. Like, it's incredible. It's very expensive. It sucks. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, dude. It's terrible. Won't... I don't recommend it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ugh, it's a lot, dude. It's a lot. And then being on the road and then just, I, I don't know if drag racing is for me because I don't know enough about it yet to spend all the money into it and then to sit there and wait for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours to have my eight second shot. Yeah. I need to do it a little more. It's definitely hard with that. Like if you went like road course or drift, you would get more seat time. Yeah. But I can't do drifting because I can't do judge sports. Well, anything that's judged, I immediately dislike. I immediately distrust. That's tough. Anything judged. Yeah. I I struggle with the burnout stuff the same way. Yeah. I don't like being judged like that. Like, yeah, a drag strip is easy. It's a win light. Yeah, that's very true. There is a winner and a loser and there's no perception. Nobody can debate it. Yep. I agree. That's a very good thing. And I could think if I were to get into any type of racing or auto sport, I would not do autocross. That's not for me. Um, Road course racing would be cool. But also, like, the Freedom Factory kind of stuff, like, that kind of racing excites me because it's, like, that's that's cool racing. So oval track, I can see myself doing mm-hmm. like yeah, door to door oval track. Well, like the mini compact a clear series, winner that, or loser. Yeah, when we had the compact series at our track, I was like, that's sweet. Like those cars are fast and they're yeah. purpose built. It's like all right, those guys are getting after it. Drifting is very like a style sport. Yeah, like, you have to have like some wow factor to you. Your car has to be exciting. Like, yeah, it's tough. It's like it's like figure skating. Yeah, it legitimately judged similar. Yeah, to like that. You're right. And that's that's where it loses me. Yeah. And anytime you debate a judge is like, oh, okay. Yeah. Not for me. Yeah, the judging um sports, I could see where the challenge is, but think of it from the aspect of that's how much better you have to be for it to be such a clear winner. Like think yeah. about an Aussie burnout. People will be right on the cusp of winning that burnout, but there's gonna be one guy that goes out there and almost flips his little shoebox car. Yep. But he burns the tires off, no fire, no wall contact, and you're gonna be like, he wins. Like, what do you want me to say? Yeah. And so there's like you you there's an added level of competitiveness where it's like you have to bring the it factor. So there's like, you know, two ways to look at it, but I see what you're saying. I get it. I always also say, um, I'm not charismatic enough to be picked as a winner in things yeah yeah i think that's one of my strengths is like i bring a lot of personality sometimes too yeah. much where it's like oh well that's spicy spice like let's see him rip you know so, yeah i would rather like the the car do the talking like in a gotcha. drag strip hey the car does the the talking i guess for me yeah and that's kind of where it's at well we either have to wrap this up or i gotta use the bathroom <laughs> gotcha i got one more interesting fact okay for let's you. go um when the World Trade Centers came down, it was about 10 years before they began to build the One World Trade Center. Yep. Okay. And in 2010, they found, when they started excavating for the foundation of the new World Trade Center, they found a wooden ship under the foundation of the original World Trade Centers that dates back to 1770s. Did you hear know about that? 
I've heard, I've heard a little bit about it, not okay. too much. Very interesting, interesting to find out. Yeah. So when they did some of the uh, testing on the wood of the ship, I mean, this was a very large ship. It wasn't like a canoe or nothing, but um, they tested that the where the wood was, was a extracted ship, from. It? No, it was a ship that was used to transport goods up and down those uh, main rivers there. And oh, so, yeah. yeah. Um, it was locally harvested, the wood, but they dated it to like 1773. So very interesting to find that it happens to be buried right under the World Trade Center and they hadn't found it before. But in 2010, they'd mm. found it. And it's pretty crazy stuff. So, yeah, that's that's definitely weird. I, yeah. I'm curious where it's sitting at now. I'm sure. It's yeah. In some Smithsonian somewhere. Yeah. It's the Smithsonian. You know who else has a lot of cash? The Smithsonian. Yeah. They, they buy a, a whole bunch of stuff. They are cash yeah. up. And some of that stuff that's in the basement that everybody wants to see, they're keeping down there. Yeah. They're not showing us. Yeah. yeah. You know who else has some weird artifacts? The Vatican. They got some crazy Next stuff. Next podcast, bro. <laughs> let's bring, I would love to come back and where we dive into some of these, mm-hmm. like, let's do some research. Let's, get some conspiracy yeah, stuff going. Let's get Just some compa- Full hour of, like, because the Vatican I'll has be, some weird stuff in the basement. Yeah. They have a whole, like, archives of, of books. Yes. That they don't show anyone. No, no. And it's a 2,000-year-old building, yeah. so even if it's just from 2,000 years ago, it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think that'd be good. To, I'll be, your, I'll be your, your conspiracy theorist. Guy. Okay, perfect. We'll come back and we'll, we'll do this. We'll get the tinfoil hats. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the costumes. We'll do everything. I want to keep a tinfoil hat yeah. over here so that like somebody when starts we, telling <laughs> me something interesting. I'm like, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, you got to pop that out. Like, oh. yeah. well, and a uh, quick me, disclaimer, dude. though. The small water bottles were an accidental purchase. Oh, <laughs> that was not on purpose. I got back from Costco and I was like, damn it. <laughs> well, I was, I drink a lot of water and I probably should have polished off. That no, one. you're good. People were like, I don't trust people that buy small water bottles. It's like, it's <laughs> not on purpose. Yeah. But dude, thanks for coming on. That thanks for blessed. having me, man. It was a good time. Just hanging out. Yeah. The uh, studio is always open anytime. Anytime we got some interesting stuff going on, we can, uh, we can do some conspiracy, bring yeah. some books and back and forth, yeah. have some more coffee. Yeah, dude. But that was a fun one, guys. Uh, where can they find you at? Um, Instagram is probably my most active platform. I'm probably uh, about a month or two away from doing some stuff on, on YouTube and whatnot, but spicy Spence on Instagram, the first E is the number three. So spicy Spence on Instagram, you'll see me doing all my stuff. That's the best ways. Um, if you guys have questions about insurance and and you, you know, you need to kind of get your family situated, you could email me Spencer at fflprotect.org. That's the best place to kind of. Just get some questions answered and just kind of find yep. out what you're looking for. But okay, so maybe in the comments on YouTube, he'll I'll pin a comment from Spence so his YouTube can get a little bit of like yeah, I do have something a YouTube rolling. On there. Just, yeah, yeah. So maybe no, go comment just to get things yep. rolling a little bit. That'd but be great. dude, thanks for coming on. That was a blast. Uh, th- that'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for watching. We will see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.